purpose statement that we have at Life of Purpose kind of come up on the screen here. You've probably seen it before. We try to put it out there in the bulletin and on our website. But our purpose statement is we are here to help you get closer to God, understand the Bible, and love one another. I wrote that because it reflects or it focuses in on three very important relationships that we all have, three important relationships. First, there's your upward relationship with God as you desire to draw close to him. Second relationship is your inward relationship, the one that you have with yourself, because as you understand the Bible, you renew your mind and God transforms you. So he changes you from the inside out. So there's an inward relationship. Then there's the outward relationship in which you love others as Jesus loves you. So our statement, our purpose statement, is reflecting those three very important relationships that we all have, upward, inward, and outward. The process of developing those relationships is this word we call discipleship. Discipleship, becoming a disciple of Jesus. It's a lifelong journey of walking with God, and the disciples understood that really quite literally as they walked with Jesus for three and a half years before he went um, to the cross and then rose again and ascended into heaven. I wonder how many years you've been walking with the Lord like Jesus' disciples. Now, I'm asking that question not to get a response of, how long have you been a Christian? I'm asking that question, how many years have been walking like the, like the, like the disciples that walk with Jesus? Because they denied themselves. They picked up their crosses like Jesus, almost all of them were killed for their faith. Like they took this really seriously. They centered their lives around Jesus. But the result? Incredible transformation. When you read the Gospels, when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see 12 disciples and then many more whose lives were centered around Jesus and God changed them forever. He transformed them. And that's what happens when you really walk with God. That's the result of discipleship. And we want to be transformed into the image of his son. At least I think that we want to. I look around here at Life of Purpose and I say, hey, these are folks that really do truly want to be more like Jesus and less like, you know, the self that you used to be. Because we're all in Christ, the new creation. Amen? 2 Corinthians 3.18. I want you to try to memorize it. I know some of you tell me all the time, oh, I'm not very good at memorizing verses in the Bible. But if you can memorize lyrics to a song, you can memorize a, a one verse in the Bible. 2 Corinthians 3.18, this is what it says. And we all, notice it doesn't say, and just Pastor Matt, or just the pastor, or just the elders, or just the leaders. It says we all, that's Paul writing to this church, and we all, and then he says, with unveiled face. Now he's referring to a guy you're familiar with. Moses. Because remember, Moses put a veil on his face because he radiated God's glory. He was in the presence of God. His face shone kind of like the sun, if you will. There was this light eminent, you know, just coming off of him. And he put a veil on. Not because his face was too bright, but because his glory was fading away. But we have a different glory on us. A glory that doesn't fade away. So we can, 
with unveiled face, it says we can behold, which really is a word that means reflect. We reflect the glory of the Lord. That's why we're singing the glory of the Lord, to God be the glory. And we are being transformed into the same image that is of Jesus from one degree of glory to another. Or as some translations say, from glory to glory. From one degree of glory. From unfading glory to, excuse me, to fading glory, from fading glory to unfading glory. And this all comes from the Lord who is spirit. This is God working in your life. You can't do this on your own. You can't make this up. And then the verse that comes before it, many of us love, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom. That's right. There is freedom. So if you want to get closer to God, if you want to have greater faith, if you want to improve every relationship in your life, if you want to be more like Jesus, then you got to make a commitment and stick with it. And I think you can do it. You need to make changes, not excuses. You need to put in the work if you want the reward. I mean, just think about it. Did, did the disciples of Jesus just stroll along with Jesus for one hour on a Sunday? No. So coming to church one hour every Sunday is not going to get you where you need to go. It's not going to... You've got to put in the work. It, it's, it's an everyday thing, this discipleship. But I'm here to help you, and, and I want to help you. And you know I want to help you. I'm not here because... Um, for any other reason but to glorify God. And I want to see you grow in your faith. So I have this new approach. I've been working on this for a while. You might be like, hey, um, you know, Pastor, you've been on vacation the last couple weeks. You know, we haven't been here. You know, we've had uh, Pastor Dave. We've had Pastor Jason. You know, and that just was coincidence. Those, those are the times those guys come. It was back-to-back Sundays. But I'll tell you, I was blessed by it. I had some time off. And I got to prepare some things that I've been wanting to work on. And that is kind of a road, a path for us to follow um, for discipleship as you, as you walk with God. And that journey is a, is a five-step journey. I've, I've written some classes. And I, you know, I'm a math teacher formerly. And you, you, you probably know I like math. And so I have an equation for you. You ready for this? Yeah. Here's the equation. Information plus application equals transformation. Information plus application equals transformation. Just like every class you've ever taken or will take in the future, you can get information, but unless you apply it, nothing changes. Nothing will change unless you apply it. Well, I guess you could have a lot of information and be on Jeopardy. Uh, Or you could be like Cliff Clavin and spout out worthless trivia in a bar. But uh, you want more than that. You're better than that. I know that. But this is an equation that I just made up out of the blue. Jesus had the same equation with his disciples. He gave them information. He taught them in parables. He taught them straightforward. And then he said, hey, listen, watch me do it. Then I'm going to watch you do it. And then you're on your own. Like, he walked with them as they learned to apply it. And God transformed them, didn't he? Twelve disciples into three-plus billion Christians today. I think they did a good job of walking with God. So I'm going to teach five classes over the next year. I'm going to give you some information, but you have to apply it because information plus application 
equals transformation. Here's the, the diagram, if you will, just a little diagram of the five steps. You'll see this. We'll kind of be talking about the first couple steps. But did you notice, notice it's in a circle? I know it's a little, little tough probably to see from wherever you're sitting, if you're close enough to the TV. But notice it's a circle. And that's purposeful because when you're finished, you're not really finished. You come full circle, and then you help somebody else walk through these steps. And it's really not even the class that I'm excited about. It's the application of the classes. So the classes are coming in September and October. Uh, they'll be offered on a couple of them on Wednesday nights, some of them on Saturdays. The first class, step one, called starting point, because honestly, we all come from different backgrounds. We all come from different places, different experiences. And this is something I've discovered over the years of being in ministry as being a pastor is that people really do want to share their story. Like you have a story, and it's an important story. And God is, has weaved his way through your story. He's done things in your life, hasn't he? Yeah, and you need to tell that story. Somebody needs to hear your story. But, but when we, before we get to that, in this class that, that I'm going to teach, the very first class, um, really focused on the gospel because we all have something in common. Even though we're coming from different places, we all have something in common. And what we have in common as Christians is the gospel. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So when we look at the gospel and we recognize that and we see that, it's a gift from God. Nobody can work their way into heaven. Nobody can boast. The pure gospel is what's important. So we're going to look at that and then we're going to share our story with someone. We have folks in our church that are willing to hear your story. I'm willing to hear your story, to hear what God has done in your life. So if you go through the class, and maybe even before that, just a fair warning. If someone says, hey, I'd like to hear your story, don't get weirded out. Don't run the other way, okay? Because it's a good story. If God's in it, it's a great story. So you need to tell your story. I want us, like I have a vision for this church to just, I mean, immerse our community with our story. Like you should be able to tell your story, as they say, like an elevator pitch, you know, like quickly. You should be able to tell your story in five minutes. You should be able to tell your story over a long cup of coffee. But you should be able to tell your story, and you should be willing to tell your story at any time. Be ready in season and out of season, as Paul told Timothy. So we should be telling our story, and we should be more than that. How many ears did God give us? It's not a trick question. <laughs> You're all like, I'm not talking in church. He gave us two ears and one mouth, so the old saying is you should listen twice as much as you talk. That's hard for some of us, easy for others. But we should be listening to people's stories as well as we share our story. So I think that for some of us, when we first come to church, God's done some stuff, and we might have a little trouble making sense of it all. You know, God was was in this circumstance in my life, and God was in this circumstance. And when you share your story, whether you're a Christian or not, because I fully expect to hear people's story, it's not about your story of how you necessarily, like we say, a testimony, like you came to Christ and this is my story. Like this is my God story. This is, this is what God has done in my life. And I think for a lot of people, you, you need to tell your story. Somebody needs to listen and help you connect the dots. 
and help you make sense of what God has done in your life and point you to the good news, which is you are forgiven. Because Jesus died for you. You are forgiven. And so that's, that's what I'm excited about. I'm excited about the story and, and uh, what God is going to do. Because here's the, the truth. And this is, this is coming to the, the title of this message. Is that your story is part of His story for His glory. It's all about His story for His glory. And that's what people need to understand. There's a truth there that's really important. If you're not a Christian, you wouldn't really think that. In fact, nobody thinks that in the beginning. Because in the beginning, we all have this belief that we're the center of the universe. Am I right? I mean, we just think our story is just our story. And the, the problem is, is that Adam and Eve sinned. We all inherit a sinful nature, the fall. And people will continue to believe that their story is just their story, that they're the center of the universe their whole life unless God opens their spiritual eyes. And guess how God does that? His story. The gospel. You share the gospel. It says that in Romans 10. When you share the gospel, God takes the scales off people's eyes. He opens their spiritual eyes so they can see the truth. You ever wonder why some people just don't see the truth? Why the gospel is like foolishness to them? Because they're blind. That's why, got, that's why he wrote, John Newton wrote Amazing Grace. I once was blind, but then I could see. God has to take away the, the scales. God has to open our eyes. But let me tell you, there's an evil one who wants to keep people blind. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Paul wrote this. He said, in the case of some, the God of this world, which is just a scary thought. All the, people don't realize that. The God of this world. That's Satan. That's the evil one. Roman about. He has blinded the minds. Not that, he, not that we could see and then Satan blinds us. No, he keeps us blinded. He wants to keep the minds of unbelievers in the dark. He doesn't want them to see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We have a terrible darkness all around us. But here's the great news. God can break through darkness and bring light. Two verses later, Paul points out that this before creation, there was nothing but darkness. Read Genesis 1.1, the very beginning of the Bible. In verse 3, God said, let there be light. Out of darkness came light. If God can do that, he can do that in one person. He can bring light. And that's what Paul says in verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, quoting Genesis 1-3, he has shown in our hearts to give, to share the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. And where is that glory of God seen? In the face of Jesus Christ. God has given light, his glory, to reflect upon Jesus, to change lives. And what does Jesus say about light? Matthew 5.16, In the same way, let your light shine before others. Boy, I think we sang a song about that today. So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. 
Now, in those three verses, do you realize what word keeps showing up in those verses? Glory. Glory. We shine our lights. We put our good works on display. Not so we can toot our horn. Not so people will praise us. What does Jesus say? So that they will give God glory. His story for His glory. Are you seeing it now? Our story is simply part of His story for His glory. A truth so important for Christians. We're not the center of the universe. God is the center. But He invites you to be part of His story for His glory. A truth that just goes against the grain of our culture. Our culture says... Well, our culture elevates us as individuals. Our culture likes to think of us as little gods. Everybody's a god. The Bible doesn't do that. The Bible does not elevate individuals. It elevates God alone. He's the one true God. And if your identity is really in Christ, then you know you're not the cornerstone. You're the little stones that build up the house of God. You're not the head of the body. Jesus is. You're the members of the body of Christ. You're not the Luke Skywalker of the story. Jesus is the hero. You're not the Yoda. Jesus or the Holy Spirit is the guide of the story. I'm sorry for mixing so many metaphors there, but you get my point. Our story is part of his story for his glory. And then look at the Bible. Isn't it fascinating that we have a Bible that has 66 different books, over 30 different authors, written over the course of 1,600 years, but it's telling one story. It's his story for his glory. And I could argue that the main theme of the whole Bible is this, God's glory. I could argue that. But if I did, some of you might call me out. You might be like, hey, pastor, I was here 10 months ago. November 13th, 2022. You began the journey in Exodus all the way back then. And you said the reason you chose to preach through Exodus is because the major theme of Exodus is the major theme of the Bible, and that theme is redemption. I know some of you are thinking that, and that's why I love you. You're my favorites. I'm giving you a gold star later. But... But the major theme of, of the Bible and of Exodus is redemption. As we looked at that, as I kind of recapped that for you, God redeemed man. All of what happened in Exodus was a shadow of things to come. I kept showing you that as we went verse by verse through Exodus, how it all pointed to Christ. It's amazing. God redeemed man. God took the nation of Israel out of Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt. And we are no longer slaves as Christians, aren't we? And then he, took, he, he gave them the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant, all the furnishings, the mercy seat, the priest, the sacrifice, all of that to satisfy his own wrath and to pay the price for their sin. And that points to Jesus. All that was temporary, pointing to Jesus, because Jesus is the one who basically appeased God's wrath on the cross. I just keep coming back to that. We, I've said that so many times in my life as a Christian. Jesus died for your sin. And I feel like when I say that to someone, they don't really fully grasp what that means. And I preached on that a couple Sundays ago. It's like, this is what it means. It's twofold. Jesus died 
to appease God's wrath. That's propitiation. And then he atoned for our sin, expiated for our sin, took it away. We confess it. God is faithful and just. His death and and his blood shed on the cross, appeasing and atoning for our sin. And God so loved the world, he so loves you that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You know that verse? Most of us learn it. First verse we ever learned, probably John 3, 16, and we could say it by heart. But it really sums up the greatest love story of all time. God loves you. And he redeems you through his son, Jesus Christ. So yeah, redemption's a major theme. Is it the only major theme in the Bible? No. We don't have to split hairs here. But just think about this. Over and above God's love for you, for us, why did God redeem you? Why did God redeem us? Why did... Why did Moses beg God not to destroy the Israelites when they sinned again and again and again? Why did he do that when they rebelled? What was his reasoning? God's glory. Why does God redeem us? For his glory. It's his story. For his glory. And that's where I felt it was most appropriate to land the Exodus plane today. All right? Just just a few verses in Exodus to finish this off, and then we're going to kind of slide into um, a series of messages about discipleship and those steps. But Exodus 33:18, Moses said something. There's songs written about it. Moses said, please, God, show me your glory. And God was like, you can't handle my glory. <laughs> Maybe I should say that like Jack Nicholson, you know. You can't handle my glory i got to work on that. But he gave him a glimpse. He gave him a glimpse. You can read that chapter for yourself. You'll love it. Be encouraged by it. But then the last chapter of Exodus, Exodus 40, verse 34, we saw that the tabernacle was completed and all the furnishings, and we went through that for a few Sundays a little while back, and there was the cloud. The cloud represented God's glory, and it filled the tabernacle. The glory filled the tabernacle. We, saw, we see that in the temple as well. But then the very last verse of Exodus, the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, fire was on it by night, in sight of all of the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So God's presence was in the form of his glory. God's glory manifested itself. Like, it was, like they could see it physically. And that's how Exodus ends. God's glory. What a wonderful topic to just think about. I mean, some some people want to know, what are we going to do in heaven all day? As if there was time in heaven. What are we going to do in heaven? (coughs) One thing is, we're going to admire God's glory for all of eternity. But why wait until heaven? Why not do it now? Two amazing preachers who preach verse by verse like I do, John Piper, John MacArthur. John Piper, you might know the name. He's out of Minnesota. He, um, Bethlehem Church and Seminary, preaches verse by verse. I often um, read um, what he has to say about, um, he loves to talk about God's glory. John MacArthur, um, by the way, John Piper preaching as long as I've been alive. 
John MacArthur Longer, Grace Community Church out in California. Funny story, one night, um, woke up at 3 a.m., you know, what do you do when you wake up at 3 a.m.? I tend to try to pray. Um, sometimes I, I, I do grab my phone and I, and I start, you know, um, reading uh, about things that are on my mind or scripture, reading the Bible. Um, I happen to be reading uh, um, some sermons. Try to put me back to sleep. You know, sermons do that for you sometimes. Not mine, I know, but, you know. So, so I'm reading this sermon about, about God's glory I found, um, and I didn't know who wrote it. I just was reading through it, and, and it was really, really good. And I'm reading this message on God's glory, and I came to this part where the, the pastor was talking about Moses, and I thought, oh, great, you know, I know all about Moses, you know, and I preached on him now for quite a while, and and he's talking about how Moses was coming down the mountain and why he wore a veil. And I thought to myself for just a split second there, I go, ooh, I wonder if he's going to get it right. You know, like, I wonder if he's going to know why Moses wore the veil. And, and when it was all said and done, um, he got it right. And I thought, oh, good job, Pastor, you know, whoever you are. Well, the next day, I found out it was John MacArthur. And I felt really silly that I'm, like, critiquing John MacArthur, who's been preaching for over 50 years. Um, but John Piper, first of all, said the glory of God is the manifest beauty of his holiness. We know God is holy, perfectly holy. But John Piper points out that it's the going public of his holiness. It's the way he puts his holiness on display for people to apprehend. That's what God's glory is. The word is a Hebrew word, kabod. It means weightiness. It means heaviness. It means splendor, honor. So it's this, this physical manifestation of God's holiness. Probably one of the best verses or psalms to articulate God's glory is Psalm 19. I read to you just six of the verses. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. God is shouting at us with his handiwork. Open your eyes and just get a glimpse of God's glory. These things are like me, but I'm so much greater. I'm so much more. In fact, John MacArthur says in, Psalm, in referring to Psalm 19, everything God ever made, he made with the purpose of giving him glory. You know, the Old Testament we see lots of God's glory. God was calling uh, men to realize His glory, calling men to give Him glory. We see it actually in the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. There's God's glory right there. That's why Adam and Eve hid when they sinned because God's glory was, was there in the garden. God's glory was on the face of, of, of Moses. God's glory was in the tent. We call the tabernacle. It was in the temple. But then in the New Testament, God's glory shows up in an amazing way. God's glory isn't just in the skies, in a, in a cloud, in a fire, in a building. God's glory shows up 
in a man. And that man is Jesus. And John wrote this in John 1.14. He refers to Jesus as the Word because the Word is all-encompassing in terms of uh, a meaning, an understanding. And the Word, the Logos, became flesh. It dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. He's speaking firsthand. I've seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John was one of the three disciples that walked up that mountain which Jesus transfigured himself. Like Mission Impossible, you know when he pulls off the mask? Jesus pulled away, peeled away his body to reveal his glory. And they saw it. And God spoke and said, this is my son, my chosen one. You should listen to him. So God's glory shone in Jesus. Then Jesus died, he rose again, he ascended into heaven. And then we say, oh, bummer, God's glory's gone. No, we don't say that as Christians. Because we can still see God's glory today when we look in the mirror. Where is God's glory today? It's in you. Just think about it. We manifest God's glory. We are the temple of God. Does it not say that in Scripture? Does it not say you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your own body? Which brings me right back to 2 Corinthians 3.18. We all, with unveiled face, what do we do, church? We behold the glory of God. We reflect the glory of God. We are transformed into the same image from grace or, or, or from one degree of glory to another. And that's from the Lord. And Jesus tells us in the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works. And do what? Give glory to your Father. Because your story is part of His story for His glory. So what do you do with this message? How do you apply it to your life? As I think about it, as I had the opportunity to work on this message for a lot longer than normal, because I had a couple weeks off, I think I rewrote it about ten times, But I thought to myself, well, what do we do to apply it? How do we apply it? Because it's it's information, and it's good information, but we need to apply the information so God can transform us. So the first thing is, memorize 2 Corinthians 3.18. You can do it. I know you can. You you can memorize it. We all, with unveiled face, I started thinking about it, chunk it up, put it in little parts, write it on a 3x5 card, Save it on your home screen, on your phone, whatever it takes. Put it on a sticky note on your fridge, your mirror. 2 Corinthians 3.18, memorize that. Let that be a reminder to you always that we reflect God's glory. We reflect his glory. Secondly, let the truth sink in. Okay? You're not the center of the universe. God is. Your story is part of his story. For his glory. What we do is for his glory. And the third thing you can do is come back next week. Because next week, I'm going to tell you how you live every day for God's glory. Very, very practical message. How to live every day for God's glory. Can you do it? All right. Let's pray, and then we have one final song from our team. Father, I thank you for your word. But most of all, I thank you for your glory. 
God, it's your story. It's, it's what, where our focus needs to be. So many times there are things in our lives that distract us. There's things that have been keeping us from coming to church today. There's things that are keeping us from reading our Bible and understanding it. There's things that are keeping us from forgiving others and restoring relationships. But God, you can overcome all of those things. God, let us just fix our mind on you. So you can change us. So you can transform us. God, we thank you for your love. And while we were still sinners, you died for us. I thank you for your glory. May we reflect it every day. In Jesus' name, the church said, Amen.